Hello and welcome to Hot Girls Code, a podcast all about software development and being a woman in tech. I am one of your hosts, Lola. And I am your other host, Orti. And today we are going to talk a bit about diversity in the tech industry and why we need women in both tech and all other types of engineering. In today's episode, we'll start off by exploring the history of women in tech and what the current situation is like. Then we will delve into why tech has diversity issues and why diversity in all forms of engineering is actually really important. And then finally, we will wrap up with some ways that we can increase diversity in tech by getting and retaining more women. So to understand the current situation of women in the tech industry, we need to understand the history. Did you know that the first computer programmer was actually a woman? And this was all the way back in the 1800s. So Ada Lovelace was the creator of the first computer algorithm. She was fascinated with the brain and other science and technology kind of interests. Um, So in the 1800s, she met a man called Charles Babbage, who had created an early computing machine, which he called the analytical engine. So what Lovelace did was she translated some of Babbage's lectures into English, and in her notes, she included an algorithm which allowed his analytical engine to compute Bernoulli numbers. And this was the first computer algorithm that had ever been produced. So if we move forward in time a wee bit to the 1900s, as programming becomes more popular as a profession, we see this trend continue of women being the ones doing the programming. So women made up the human computers who performed complex calculations for the military during the Second World War. So for example, more than 50% of the programmers selected to work on the US military's first computer in 1946 were actually women. And you might have heard of the movie Hidden Figures, which follows the true story of three women who began their journey working at NASA as part of the West Computers, which was a segregated group of African-American women hired to process aeronautic data in the space race era. I love the movie Hidden Figures. I feel like it was probably the first time I, at least, and I think a lot of people had heard about these amazing women and not only their importance in the space race, but their importance in tech in general. But there are plenty of other iconic women in tech throughout history. So one of the most celebrated early engineers was Grace Hopper, a Navy admiral whose programming enabled the United States to model the impact of atomic bombs. It was also a woman, Margaret Hamilton, who led the coding team that charted Apollo 11's path to the moon. So that is pretty crazy. And this kind of trend is really shown in the pop culture artifacts of the time. In a 1967 Cosmopolitan magazine article called The Computer Girls, they were encouraging women into computer programming. So one of my favorite quotes from this article is, women are naturals at computer programming, and it's just like planning a dinner. You know, make it relatable. (laughs) I love that, because, you know, back then, planning a dinner party was such an important skill for a housewife, and I love that they used that to really connect with them. So we've heard about how women were at the forefront of the industry, but what changed? So as the industry grew more lucrative, engineering jobs became higher status and better paid. For some context, in 1950, the United States only had two electronic computers. But then by the late 1960s, electronic computers formed a $20 billion industry. That's a huge boom. And when you have an industry like that, people want to make sure they're really hiring the right talent and the best talent. So there was a company called System Development Corp who contracted some psychologists, William Cannon and Dallas 
Perry to create an aptitude assessment for optimal programmers. So they published this in 1967, and to carry out this research, they interviewed 1,400 engineers. 1,200 of them were men, and only 200 were women. I think you can tell where the story's gonna go. So from these interviews, they developed a vocational interest scale, which is basically a personality profile to kind of predict the best potential programmers out there. So what this paper that they published said was they had identified that a disinterest in people and a dislike of activities involving close personal interaction as striking characteristics of programmers. And I mean, this sounds pretty familiar to the kind of antisocial tech stereotypes that we have out there nowadays. And it's also a stereotype that not a lot of women fit or aren't really socialized to fit into. So you might think, well, this, this was just one paper. What did it do? Well, the SDC, that company we talked about, had a lot of sway in the sector. It claimed to train the industry. And so that is how it, their programmer profile came to shape the industry demographics for decades. It was a bit of a vicious cycle. The hiring process would favor men, men became overrepresented in technology companies, and then this fed this popular perception as engineering as a masculine job and men being natural at engineering. Oh, I hate that stereotype that men will just always make better engineers than women because it's simply not true. And so if we look back at what Audie's been saying, women were quite literally pushed out of tech by men as it became higher status in a better paid industry. And this was partly because of some poorly done research cementing stereotypes about programmers that still exist to this day. So now that we've heard a bit about how women have existed in the tech industry in the past, let's talk a bit about what it's like for women now. There's still a lot of men. <laughs> you mean we haven't fixed the problem already? What? Uh, but in all seriousness, it's definitely still an issue today and something that both of us have personal experience with. For me, I have had multiple times where I have gone into meetings and gone into rooms for technical discussions or technical meetings and I am the only woman in the entire room. Yeah, and I remember when I first started at my internship in the company that we both work at, Autie was actually the only female developer in the Auckland office. And I swear it's not just us. This is a wider problem. So now I'm going to share some stats from the book Invisible Woman by Caroline Criado Perez, written in 2019. Women make up just 11% of software developers, 25% of Silicon Valley employees, and 7% of partners at venture capital firms making the decisions. And just to diversify our sources, MYOB's 2019 Women in Tech report showed that only 23% of jobs in the tech industry are held by women, and 46% of women in the tech sector have experienced gender bias. That is insane. That is just crazy. But it's also sad that it's not surprising because um, what Alan Powell has said, who was the former CEO of Reddit, she said that Silicon Valley is not just an industry that's unwelcoming, but is designed to keep people out who aren't white men. Yeah, so in that book, she talks you know, a lot about how you can't always get ahead by working hard if you're not part of that in crowd, you know, if you're not part of that culture. And, you know, that's a very common thing you hear about. People tend to hire or connect to people that are like them more so than people that are unlike them. And so that will quite often mean that, you know, no matter how hard you work, no matter how much money you make, or no matter how many times, you know, the company insists that it's based on hard work, 
you might get discriminated against unconsciously or subconsciously, whichever word is the correct one, um, <laughs> literally just because you're not like the people you're around. You know, she talks about in that same book, you know, she had years of discrimination against herself, you know, her female colleagues, things like pay disparities, promotions that were reserved for their male colleagues. Mm. And then, you know, when you experience things like that, why would you want to stick around in, indus- in an industry like that? Why wouldn't you just, you know, go find somewhere else that maybe you're more appreciated in? And fun fact, but not surprising, tech, the tech industry has really bad retention rates for women and also people of colour. Um, so why aren't women entering tech? Now, I want to start off by prefacing this with a common argument that comes forward that women are just, you know, biologically less inclined to be interested in computer programming. As companies have started to care more about diversity in recent years, of course, there has been a backlash against initiatives to improve diversity by, you guessed it, white men. (laughs) For example, a Google internal memo came out in 2017 basically arguing that male to female disparities in leadership and in tech roles can be partly explained by biological factors. You know, that classic women are more emotional than men stuff, I imagine. Oh, I mean, obviously women are just biologically more suited for emotional or aesthetic work. I hate it. (laughs) It just, yeah, it's just... It's just not true. Um, And I feel like that's really this kind of sexist belief that women are always going to be worse engineers because biologically we just care too much about people and making things pretty. Like, it's just such a gross perspective to have. And it also doesn't really, like, what's wrong with making software that is helping people and that cares about people like surely that should be the heart of the software we're building surely that should be an advantage of working in tech rather than seen as a quote-unquote disadvantage like that makes no sense in her book reset ellen power the ceo of reddit said that her former boss described the ideal tech founders as white male nerds who dropped out of harvard or stanford and have absolutely no social life This is just another example that further perpetuates this false narrative that young, white, antisocial male software developer. We also have, you know, some of the most commonly well-known, you know, tech giants tend to fit that brand. You know, you always hear about Bill Gates dropping out of, I think, Harvard. You hear about Mark Zuckerberg going to Harvard. You hear about Steve Jobs. You know, you can think off the top of your head so many male tech founders, but when it comes to female tech founders, the only one I can think of is Elizabeth Holmes. And if you don't know who she is, you should Google her because she's not a positive experience. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) But I mean, just this whole idea that you have to be a white male, a nerd, someone with no social life, why do we why do we have that women are less likely to fit that mold but why do we need to be emotionless or single-minded in order to be good developers i don't think that we do and having this stereotype really hurts diversity and what's really interesting about that is women actually make up the majority of some tech sectors overseas such as malaysia so the lack of diversity in tech isn't a biological issue maybe it's a cultural one And speaking of the culture, the culture of the tech industry is so often been described as, you know, very male dominated. You know, they appear to care about hard work, but really there's a lot of bias under the hood that's going on. Mm, And I think people don't acknowledge that bias. That's the real issue. So there's this quote from Invisible Woman that says, tech has a love affair with the myth of meritocracy. 
And meritocracy is basically, it's this idea that anyone can be successful if they just work hard enough and try their best. But this isn't always true and unconscious biases do exist and those need to be acknowledged. The thing is, it's not just about, you know, the software you write or the things you produce. It's also about the people around you, the opportunities you get, you know, what jobs you get hired for, how you get promoted and how you, you know, not just that, but, you know, the people you're around and the environment that you work in. And research has shown that it's not just talent or how hard you work that'll get you promotions. There are other factors at play, such as unconscious bias for gender or race. And it's something that we really need to be considering moving forward in order to make the tech industry a more welcoming space for women. Definitely. And I actually wanted to share a small personal story of an experience I had with, you know, a skewed hiring process. The hiring process itself wasn't skewed, But basically, I was sitting in on an interview for a female developer. I was one of three on the hiring panel, and there were two other men with me. And it was really interesting because, you know, we went through the interview, and it was a technical interview, so she had written a piece of software, and we got her to take take us through it all. And she talked a little bit about it. We asked her questions, gave her suggestions, and things like that. And one of the things I noticed was throughout the interview – One of the guys was, you know, ripping into her piece of work and I could tell that was making her nervous. So I would, you know, try and catch her eye and I'd smile and nod and kind of encourage her. And I could see that physically help her relax. And that made her, you know, perform better in the interview. And then after the interview, the boys came out of it and they were like, oh, I think she's a no. And I was like, really? I'd I'd written down that she was a big yes. Could I understand a bit more about your thinking and they were saying you know oh she didn't seem super confident she didn't really seem like you know she was keen on what she was saying and stuff and I was like oh well I thought you know she was quite humble and one of the things I asked them was oh did you notice that when we would ask her about you know we'd point out flaws in her solution we would ask her to explain how she would improve it she'd smile and talk really fast and get really excited because to her it was she got excited when she had to improve something Mm. and they just looked at me and they were like I didn't notice that at all and I kind of went through all these little things that I had noticed throughout her interview and by the end of it they actually were both like no yeah no you're right like we should hire her so you completely changed their mind by actually just describing what you saw happen in front of you exactly and it's one of those things where if I a woman wasn't in the room maybe she would have been too nervous maybe she wouldn't you know wouldn't have performed as well but also maybe she would have performed just the same and it wouldn't have been recognized And I think that's really interesting, the point that you touched on about confidence there, because what research has actually shown is that a woman of average intelligence will put herself as being of average intelligence, whereas a man of average intelligence will say he's smarter than two-thirds of people. And if you're a woman who has ever studied in a male-dominated degree, you will 100% agree with that stat right there. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Seen it in action. So it's not just about, you know, women getting hired that's part of the culture. There's also this quote-unquote, if you've heard of the phrase, programming culture. Programming. Programming. That's it's the right voice to use. It's very frat-like, hyper-masculine. You know, there's 
people that, you know, have banter and stuff like that. That's actually just like sexism and low-key racism. Just Master's joke. Yeah, it's just, it's a joke, bro. It's a joke. And, you know, I think even like the most lovely of male software developers, when they're around, you know, alpha male, which believe it or not, there are alpha males in software. People seem shocked <laughs> when I tell them that, you know, they'll take on those attitudes and those personality types. And I don't, I've had times where, I've been around, I've got, like gone home and had a fat cry to my flatmates and been like, it's just too many men and I just want to be around women more. And I mean, this was way worse when we had COVID and then way less people coming into the office. So it felt like there were less women around, but yeah, I, it can get, um, it can get very lad culture. It can, it can be, be it can be harsh. It can be really hard for women, you know, cause we don't necessarily want to participate in that culture and we're not really interested in it, but it's all around us. And we're affected by it, you know, and then maybe you do go home and have a fat cry and that freaking sucks. <laughs> and then you tell someone from that group later on that, that they said a thing that made you cry. And, and they're like, what do you mean? You're so sensitive. Yeah. This time, like, they didn't say I was so sensitive. They were like, oh, I just meant it as a joke and oh. so I'm sorry. But I was like, oh, okay. It's always just a joke. It's always hashtag just a joke. I think another really interesting concept in kind of the software sector is this idea of culture fit. Um, for example, Google likes to describe their, you know, people that they're interviewing in terms of Googliness, which isn't actually defined. So it's kind of just this term that's like, oh, yeah, how Googly are they? Um, and it's been accused of being both ageist and sexist because they're basically saying, you know, we want people who are already like all the people at the company who are typically young and men. Yeah, and it's very much based off of a gut instinct. And I totally get that sometimes you do need to just do a vibe check in an interview. Like that vibe is totally, checking, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of vibe checking, but also there are other times where you have to have, you know, two people doing the interview that are opposing and see what their different opinions of the quote unquote vibe check was. Cause maybe, you know, it was someone like them. So they thought they were great. And then the other person's like, Hey, like, I don't know how to tell you this, but they were kind of a dickhead and you're not a dickhead, but the parts that you guys related on were the non dickhead parts, you know? Mm, yeah. And I think that can be a real issue here with culture fit because it can breed homogeneity homogeneity i think that's how you say it <laughs> because of this culture that is developed you know there is higher attrition rates for women and minorities so female attrition rates are also higher in technology than they are in non-stem fields and one large-scale study found that after about 12 years, approximately 50% of women had left their jobs in STEM fields, and most of those jobs were in engineering and computing. This is pretty terrifying, um, and in the high-tech industry, the quit rate is more than twice as high for women, so it's 41%, and compared to men, which is 17%. So evidence shows that workplace experiences are one of the most significant differences between women who stay in computing and those who decide to leave. And clearly a lot of women are leaving. So yeah, and going back to what we were talking, talking about before, you know, women tend to be more people focused and, you know, more creative. And they found that, you know, a lack of access to cre key creative roles and also like a sense of feeling stalled in your career, sometimes the, the most significant factors contributing to female attrition from the tech field. And I know, you know, for you and I, we're both very creative people and we work quite hard to make that space. And we're fortunate enough to be at a company that allow us to take that space and 
do more creative things, but not everyone gets, you know, that opportunity. Mm, No, totally. So we know that there's a big issue with the culture, but another thing is that attempts aren't actually being measured. So companies are making these initiatives in order to get more women or increase the diversity at tech companies, but they aren't actually measuring whether or not these initiatives are working and whether they're encouraging women to go into or stay in computing. There are no success metrics, so people, companies don't know if those initiatives are worth mimicking elsewhere. So this is just another data gap, which means you know we have this lack of information and we don't know how to actually improve the situation and make it better. So now we've talked a bit about um, you know why diversity in the tech industry sucks at the moment, um, and now we wanted to talk a bit about why do we even care about that? Why does diversity in all forms of engineering matter? So engineers are you know typically solving problems and providing solutions for problems that a range of people have. And it can often be a lot harder to design and implement inclusive solutions when you don't have a diverse representation in a room together. Even with doing diverse user studies and user testing, it's a lot harder to consider how the compromises you make for a technical limitation might impact a person that aren't part of that group that you're in. And not only that, when you have a diverse group of people with maybe conflicting opinions working on something, that really helps you broaden your mind to consider things that maybe people that aren't in the group need. And so it really overall kind of rolls into itself to give, you know, a diverse perspective on the whole. So what you're saying basically is we need diversity so that we hear everyone's opinions, right? Like if you're not in the room, then people aren't really going to think about your opinion or your perspective. Yeah, exactly. And you also, I feel like when you don't hear conflicting opinions or perspectives, you don't consider that there might be those that exist. Because mm-hmm. there have definitely been times where someone mentions, you know, something to me that I didn't consider, and then that triggers me to think of everything else I didn't consider. Mm. Um, a great book that talks about this that we've already brought up a couple times, and we um, are going to get a lot of these following examples from, is called Invisible Women. And did you want to take through some of the examples that we had? Yes, so most offices are five degrees too cold for women. And I'm sure all the women listening right now are like, yeah, they are, because they are so cold. <laughs> I literally keep a jumper at work. That is my work jumper because I get so cold in the office. One of my friends keeps like a wet bag at work so that she can heat it up and like put it on her lap while she works. And ugh, it's just awful. And this is because the formula to determine the temperature of the building was developed in the 1960s based on the metabolic resting rate of a 40-year-old 70 kg man. And women's metabolisms are a lot slower and a lot different. So basically, when you're only looking at this one kind of person and you're only designing for that one kind of person, then it means 50% of the population, all the women in the office building, are going to be too damn cold. <laughs> uh, there is this woman called Cheryl Sandberg. If you've lead, uh, read her book Lean In, you'll know of her. She was the she is currently the COO of Facebook, but prior to that, in 2014, she was the COO of Google. And when she was pregnant, she noticed that she was really struggling to walk from her car to the building. And she went to the founder and said, hey, could we get pregnancy parking put into the Google car park? And he said, yeah, of course, I'd never thought about it before. And something she brings up is the fact that 
actually neither had she. So mm. even though, you know, she is a woman and, you know, motherhood might have been something that she'd already been considered, something as small as that is something she didn't notice until she was in that experience herself. And it's only if you have a pregnant person in the room helping make those decisions that you actually, you know, take that perspective and that experience into account and then you solve a problem for a whole new group of people. Exactly. And it's not just like things like that that aren't designed for women. It's also things that are really dangerous. So, for example, cars are designed around the body of reference man. So even though men are more likely to crash, women involved in collisions are nearly 50% more likely to get seriously hurt purely because cars aren't designed around women they're designed around men. That is so depressing. And that, that's like the crash test dummies, right? You know, because obviously they've they've picked a height or they've hit, picked a body weight for these crash test dummies or, you know, in the way they design cars, that is closer to a man's physique than a woman's. And therefore women are quite literally suffering the consequences of that. And it's not just body weight. It's also the body composition and things like mm. that. And so it's things like that, you know, are really important. And bringing it to some more tech examples, uh, you know, Everyone knows women are clothes. They don't really have pockets. And if they do have pockets, they're tiny pockets or fake pockets. So small. Oh my God, I hate fake pockets. Well, have you noticed that smartphones are massive? They are so big. And quite often, they're too big to fit into a woman's pocket. And if you're like me and you have the health app on your phone and maybe you like tracking your steps, well, what happens when you need to put your phone in your bag or you put your phone down? It's not going to track your steps. But if you're a man, if you're just going to, you know, walk around, go out or something, you'll just put your phone in your pocket and you'll keep going. And then your steps get tracked. Another really depressing example um, is speech recognition software. So this kind of software is mostly trained on male voices. So this has led to Google's version of speech recognition software being 70% more likely to understand men compared to women. And I actually have this problem all the time where I try and talk to my little like, hey Google, and it doesn't listen to me, but it listens to my boyfriend. And it is, it's a bit depressing. You feel like it's playing favorites. Yeah, I'm like, listen to me, Google. I love you too. <laughs> so all of these examples of where women are kind of missed out in the design process. But I also wanted to touch on, I don't have any examples at the top of my head, but I'm sure that if anyone hears this, they will, of when things are supposedly designed for women, but all they've done is make it pink. It is such a common trend in not just software, but in the product industry as a whole to be like, if it's pink, it's suitable for women, rather than digging into the actual needs of what women want and what they actually need. And I wanted to share a personal story around this. So when I was at university, one of our group projects was we got into pairs and we had to create a Pac-Man game for a little girl. That was in our brief. We had a few all-guy teams and then we had some all-girl teams. And a lot, and I mean a lot, of the guys simply made it for a girl by making things pink, putting in unicorns and sparkles. And don't get me wrong, I love unicorns and sparkles, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a game built for an eight-year-old girl. What I thought was really interesting was a lot of the girl-only teams actually tend to, tended to create more gender-neutral games. For example, my team, we knew that when we were eight years old, we loved mythical creatures. So we made a shapeshifter game where each level you were a different mythical creature. And yes, we had a mermaid level and a unicorn level, but we also had a dragon level. And that's just one example of, you know, when men try to design for women, sometimes they will just be like, it's pink, that's what matters. Whereas like 
when we women were thinking about it, we were sort of like, what is there actually, what is an interest she might have? What is, you know, a topic she cares about Mm -hmm. rather than make it pink? So what you're saying is if a woman isn't actually in the room when they're kind of making these decisions about what a product could look like, men are going to make assumptions about what they think women should like and therefore that'll go into the product. Whereas if you actually just had a woman there, you'd get that perspective right up front and then you can make better decisions that'll lead to a better user experience for more people. Exactly. Diversity is also really important from a business perspective. Studies have shown that diverse teams can generate more revenue, they are also more innovative, and they can also provide a better user experience by having more diverse viewpoints going into a product. You know, so it's not just about creating, you know, good quality products for people. It's also, you know, if you are a capitalist at heart and that's what drives you, it also helps you make more money. And not only that, studies have shown that diverse teams are also, you know, more productive. So we know there is a problem with diversity in tech. We know that diversity is actually a really positive thing for software teams. So how can we increase the number of women in tech? I think the major thing that needs to happen Um, It's kind of a cultural change. Firstly, we need to acknowledge that there is an issue. So, for example, the issue of sexism in open source software communities is underestimated and viewed as a non-problem by males. We are even acknowledging gender is seen as sexism. And this is despite lots of research and anecdotal evidence indicating that sexism is experienced frequently by women in these software communities. So I think the first thing we need to do is actually say, hey, there is an issue here. And something in the culture has to change. Yeah, and I think, you know, this change in culture might be one of the most, you know, significant factors in actually attracting and retaining women in software communities. Because it means that you feel more welcome, you feel like you can succeed, and you feel like, you know, that meritocracy culture that we are talking about before, it could actually be true if we actually conquer those biases and, you know, make a shift in the culture. Mm. Another issue at the moment is tech accelerators using gender neutral approaches to outreach and recruitment in order to get the best people. You know, that whole concept of if you work hard, you know, you'll get the best job. And it sounds unbiased, but claiming to be gender neutral prevents organizations from recognizing that their practices are actually biased. And this kind of gender or color invisibility basically just hides the problem as opposed to addressing it. So, for example, if you sent a bunch of invitations out to a network which predominantly composed of males, well, how are we reaching the women that might be interested too? So even though your approach is gender neutral, you're still mainly targeting men. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that if there's already a more a stronger lean towards men, then the networks and the word of mouth is going to be re- reaching other men most typically. Culture is hard to shift, you know? But with COVID, we have seen there's been quite a shakeup in the industry. We've seen a lot more openness from companies to new ways of working that support flexible hours and working remotely. And it'd be cool to kind of harness this momentum of change and openness to create a shift from the masculine programming tip culture of the past to a more you know diverse and innovative gender neutral culture moving forward. So as well as culture, I think another important aspect is providing female role models, um, having female mentorship programs, and just in general providing more support to women in the tech industry. 
because we really need that in order to not only attract women but also retain them. Men are already more likely to nominate themselves for promotion, so we need to support women to do the same. Yeah, I totally agree. And to add to that on a personal note, I know for me, it's made such a huge difference on in what I thought I was capable of just by talking to some of the more senior technical leaders at work um, who are women at the company I work at right now, you know, hearing their stories, where they got to, and seeing them bring their whole personalities to work mm-hmm. have helped me realize that those things can help make me a great leader later on as well. And mm-hmm. it makes such a huge difference. And seeing is believing, right? Like we see these badass women who are in these senior leadership positions and they've got kids and they're juggling life and they're doing so amazingly that we see that and we think, okay, cool. I I think I can do that too. And there's also interesting research out there that shows that having those role models and having that kind of mentorship is actually more important for girls than it is for boys. So, you know, it is really important for women to have those role models and have that ability to be mentored and see themselves what they could be in the future. Yeah, I think that comes from a place where like guys, you know, boys grow up getting told like you can do anything you want and kind of have that bred into them. Whereas with women, you kind of need to have that door opened for you in Mm. order to kind of see that. Yeah. And I mean, that's just like the confidence gap, right? Like men are just a lot more confident, overconfident, some would say, than women. (laughs) Another hot take on how to increase diversity in tech is quotas. So a London School of Economics study found that quotas actually helped to weed out incompetent men rather than promote unqualified women. That comes from Invisible Woman. And I just think that that is the funniest burn I've ever read (laughs) and like the most like research driven <laughs> successful burn yeah. ever because you know at the end of the day whenever I talk to people you know that talk about being you know worried that they only got hired to fill a quota or be the hashtag diversity hire I think honestly at the end of the day you know people aren't going to hire someone that they think can't do the job and instead of thinking of you know being hired to be you know the hashtag diversity hire or filling a quota it's more about trying to take on a more diverse lens. I mean, I don't entirely know how I feel about quotas and I go really back and forth about them, Mm. but I do think, you know, there's a lot of discussion to be had around them. And when some, whenever someone, you know, comes to me saying, you know, I'm worried that I was hired to fill a quota, I just say, well, there are plenty of men that weren't qualified for their jobs that have been hired from them. So just take this advantage that life has given you. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's honestly, just ride the wave and just see where you go. Another way that we can help fix this diversity problem is by removing gender bias from the hiring process. So one thing that MIT has done is they've actually collected and analyzed data on their hiring procedures to see if they're as gender neutral as they think they are. And it turns out, shockingly, they're not. (laughs) So this is super important because if you think you have super gender neutral, you know, processes, seeing that data that shows you that actually it's not, that helps, you know, those companies take a step back and actually analyze those processes and see points of improvement. And further to this, you know, you can teach people that are hiring other people about what unconscious bias is because Mm. just having a bit of awareness of it, it won't remove it entirely, but it can help teach people how to overcome those, that unconscious bias and see someone in a less biased way. Another way is through blind recruitment systems. So these are software systems that get rid of identifying info such as pronouns. 
Um, and at one company, this meant that 60% more hires came from underrepresented groups. So that kind of shows you just how deep that that unconscious bias can go. And another way we can make change is by, you know, maybe making podcasts to help break down stereotypes and encourage women to do tech. What we're willing to do here is we're wanting to break stereotypes and show women that they don't have to be a certain way in order to learn to code or work in the software industry. And we want to share our experience so that people can see hot girls can do it too. And we also want to, you know, make coding more accessible and easier to digest for people, particularly women, but people on on the whole, you know, not have so much jargon in there or if there is jargon, break it down. And to end on a slightly more positive note than all the depressing stuff we've been saying, you know, it is improving. We are making progress. Conversations are happening at companies. You know, diversity is definitely at the forefront of people's mind nowadays. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely going to continue being progress going forward. And we just want to support that as best as we can. And through this podcast, hopefully we can show people that hot girls can code too. Sweet. So today we talked a bit about the how the lack of diversity in the tech industry is quite a large scale problem, which it, it needs a cultural change to improve. And diversity is important so that different perspectives are heard and accounted for. And, you know, we learned that, you know, the concept that women shouldn't be in tech from a biological perspective is uh, based in stupidity. Next, we'll be releasing a three part series in order to get hot girls coding. In our first episode, we'll be explaining what coding is and how it actually works. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a rating and subscribe to Hot Girls Code wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter under hot underscore girls underscore code to keep up to date with the podcast and learn more about software development and being a woman in tech. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.